This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we remember and commemorate 9-11 by diving into 12 Strong. We describe September 11th as a day that the world changed. But what if the world didn't change, simply our perspective of it? Likewise, when massive events occur in our lives, we know that God doesn't change, but how we view him does. Like Captain Nelson, we have brothers to walk with us into battle, discovering the power of submitting to authority along the way. Follow me as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and joining me across the screen, across a couple states, is Dustin. Hey Dustin, how are you doing this morning, man? Paul, I am doing well, good sir. Doing well. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks for suggesting this movie. Dustin has a has great taste in movies. Uh, this one, Twelve Strong, I actually watched with my sixteen year old. Uh, his his boys are a little young for this. It's a little little too too much for them at this point. But he looks forward to sharing this one with them. Yes, one day I will get to get to show that show them this. They are eight seven and four right now. So right now we're still in the um, animated uh, <laughs> rotation of movies, but one day we will get to watch things like this and I, hopefully I'll get to have conversations like this with them. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be super cool. I had never watched the movie before until a week or so ago. And I thought, Oh, this is going to be great to, to play on the weekend of nine 11. Uh, it's super weird where I, I guess the, the, that day is going to be 21 years old. It can drink now um, <laughs> in the U.S. If it's it's been drinking for a while overseas and international. But this idea that, like, it's interesting to me because, like, the NFL season is opening on 9-11. They're like, hey, coming at you, NFL on Fox, September 11th. And it feels weird to me to be doing that because it is, you can't say 9-11 or September 11th without bringing to mind the events of that day, Correct. which are core, it's a core theme throughout this whole movie. It's the whole motivation for the movie. So before we got into this, and I'm sure most of our listeners have memories of that day, mm -hmm. um, and I was actually surprised. Dustin looks like a, a a young man, so I was surprised when he said he was eighteen when when nine eleven happened. I was like, oh, I thought you'd be like eight. So I got carved off a decade. <laughs> so, Dustin, what what are your memories of of that day? You know, twenty one years ago now. You know, we were exchanging emails before we are are doing this, and you asked me about that, and I've done a lot of reflection on that the last couple of weeks. I was a senior in high school <laughs> and I was, I was in Span Spanish class the morning of nine 11 in 2001. And, uh, I, I just remember my teacher, um, pausing the class, uh, because there was an announcement on the intercom and then she rolled a TV, huge, big boxed TV that every classroom <laughs> right. had. It weighs flat like screens weren't around back then. No, not, not widespread as like <laughs> weighed like 95 pounds <laughs> and wheeled it in. And we watched the news and no one left class. Um, you, the bell would ring for classes to change and everyone just stayed put. And for several hours, we stayed in one, one seat instead of changing classrooms watching. And um, yeah, it was uh, very, yeah, I'll never forget that. Yeah. How about you? Where were you? I was I was working, but I as a nurse, but I was uh, in the army at the time. So I was actually at uh in San Antonio at um at Brook Army Medical Center. My daughter 
was born in June, the end of June. And this is, you know, September 11th. So she's still pretty young. Um, we had just gotten a house on post and I was at work, gone down like I normally do. I, I went down and get breakfast, a couple eggs and a couple slices of bacon, hard boiled eggs. And I was, I sat down in our break room to eat my breakfast that they, they, CNN was on and they were like, that one of the towers was smoking and they were like, Oh, a plane has flown into the building. I, and they're, they're not, according to the reporting, they weren't thinking terrorists. They were thinking oh. navigational error. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's stupid. That's a big freaking building. You don't just yeah. fly into a, that building by accident. And as I'm watching the second plane flew into it. And I was like, Oh no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like you, you know, something's going on. So I went out and I, I told, I, I worked with one of my best friends and like, Hey man, with this, this stuff is going down mm-hmm. and every, every TV in every patient's room was on it, whether or not they were awake. Um, not a lot mm-hmm. of great patient care happened that day <laughs> because we're calling and checking. Like I had a, I had one of my uncles frequently would worked in, he lived in New Jersey, but would frequently work downtown and go to the world trade center. So I was like, is my uncle, mm-hmm. is uncle Mike? Okay. And yeah. my mom and my mom and dad lived in New Jersey, I think. And, it, and again, my, my mom will tell you, she spent the whole day crying um, cool. just to what was happening. And then, you know, remembering, seeing the towers collapse and again, mm-hmm. sort of not understanding what had happened and why. Right. And right. we, we talk about it and it's, there's a sense my body feels like it did that day. As we're talking about it, I was like, I remember that tension, that uncertainty. Yeah. Um, I, t- I called my wife and said, Hey, get home because it's going to be tough to get back on base. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, and we're going to talk about this idea that this idea, this day changed everything. Nine 11 was a day that things changed every, And I think more for the U S than maybe overseas, but for us, it changed everything. Like getting on post changed. Like it was never the same after that, you know, you would have to get in line and they were looking under your cars to see if there's a bomb. Sometimes you'd have to pop the trunk. It changed mm. bef- where before it was just show your ID, get waved through the gate, super fast, super easy. Yeah. And so as we enter into talking about this movie and, <laughs> and Dustin and I have been talking for almost an hour now <laughs> before we even hit the record button. That's true. Because we could have, we could have just did, done the snapshots of the families before the men left to go to to battle, mm-hmm. and talked about fighting from where are we fighting from, what are we fighting for, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yeah, but where we've landed is this this idea, like like I said, nine eleven changed everything. But one of the things as we look at it is I don't think the world we live in didn't change, but the way we viewed it changed. Yes. And how does that apply to God when Mm -hmm. things happen, when COVID happens, when 9-11 happens, when your wife dies, when you lose your job? Mm -hmm. For you, for me, our world changes. Mm-hmm. You know, when I went through my divorce, my world changed. My world changed. The world kept going. It's going to keep mm-hmm. spinning, going to keep turning, rotating around the sun, all that stuff. So in that that sense, like 9-11, the world didn't change, just how we viewed it changed. And so how does that apply, like when we look at God, when stuff happens, because we know God doesn't change, but the way that we view him frequently changes. I'm thinking, even as I'm listening to you describe what your day was like in 2001 on September 11th, 
I am, you just, you reference as soon as you said, um, you can remember how tense you were that day and after just how things changed. The world didn't change, but the routine of even you walking on base changed and you right. could just feel things rise up and you, oh my goodness, this is different. Yeah. And for me, you know, I was eight, yes, I was 18 years old, but up until that point in my life, um, the only idea of me having an enemy was who I'm playing with against on the other side of the soccer field. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so my worldview, what it did was it, it went from this very narrow peephole of seeing the way I see everything to the door being blown up, the, the building being blown, in, blown wide open. And now my worldview has been so widely expanded the way that God already sees. Mm. It wasn't a surprise to him. What is happening is my 18-year-old eyes and heart and mind is beginning to become more aware of more of what is happening. And I have to interact with that now. The idea that now my country that I'm a part of has an enemy, that was brand new to me in my world. Yeah. Yeah. Britt, uh, recently went to this, um, like a, a Christian publishing conference. And he said it was very enlightening for him because he realized that Christian book publishers are focused on selling books to older white women because that's who buys books. And we were talking about this, this idea for us of, well, and I, I love what you just said about that 18 year old self, because it's like, well, how do we, how do we get our younger people sounding like an old man to say young people, but how do we get people in their twenties? How do we get men and women in their twenties and thirties to engage with this, with the gospel, the power of, of gospel? Because right now, like my son's in college, he's enjoying being on a, in a fraternity, all the all the things that come with going to college and this idea that, well, why would, why would church be a thing? Why would the gospel be a, 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 a matter of importance when they don't have that trauma, that understanding of how the world works yet? Because we've as, as parents have protected them pretty well. Even if, even if we watched, I watched 12 Strong with my 16-year-old son, we've still sheltered them. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this idea that if you, you don't know the realities of the world that we live in, the need for the gospel doesn't make sense. And so that that mindset of this first scene where these guys, they're they're training. I mean, we could probably talk about this. We spend so much time training, we miss the real battle. Yep. But they're training, and then their their pickup is late. They've spent the night, you know. It's in September. It's they're, they're it, I guess it's cold wherever they were. I you know I was in Texas, so cold doesn't happen. Um, but they get picked up, and they're mad at the guy who's picking them up because he's running late, and he's for him he can't even understand that they don't know what's going on. Right. What the hell, man? Relax, bro. You know how much traffic is right Traffic? Now. You're freezing our asses Relax. out here all goddamn Relax, night. Bro. Why don't you jump your ass in this room? Did you stop at Starbucks? You drop. Oh, so Where's my latte? Milo, it's 8.30. What happened? What, you guys don't know? No, we're in the river, man. God damn, they're low. Is that part of a drill? Ain't no drill. We spend our life training. Like that idea that these guys were missing the battle because they were training. Mm -hmm. And it took somebody to tell them, to say, hey, there is a battle going on. There is a fight. And I think that's our, our opportunity and where, how we can engage when, when, hey man, why were you late? Do you bring a Starbucks? You know, again, very, again, first world problems. But we need somebody to say, whoa, 
you don't know. This ain't no drill. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just to give you a heads up, it's a military movie. Language is spicy. If you're watching it with the kids, might want to in- include some earmuffs. So just just to warn you ahead of time. But Dustin, how when we, when we look at that that experience, I think mm-hmm. because it's that idea of the need for a proper orientation. Mm-hmm. Yes. So one of the reasons why I love war movies is because typically they're based on a true story. And this is, as you mentioned, they, these are, they're a special fort army, special fort. They are green beret. It's, um, ODA five, nine, five. I think they referenced that in the movie, uh, but captain Mitch Nelson. And he's, uh, the reason I love this movie so much is I'm a very highly engaged viewer. Movies love me because I get emotionally attached. And <laughs> television shows love me because I get emotionally attached to characters and I just want to keep watching. Yeah. So um, my wife makes fun of me because if there's a show I really like, um, I don't sit 10 feet from it on the couch. Or if there's a movie that I know that I'm really drawn into, I'm, I am four inches from the screen. I want to be <laughs> in the movie. I want to be there. Um, and... It's so interesting, you know, you, 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 uh, you pose this question, you know, what's the difference between training, uh, training for the battle and being in the battle, um, in the context of our world in 2022, as a man, Paul, a man, Dustin brothers in Christ, um, we read through all throughout the new Testament, Jesus references it. His disciples do Paul references it, that we are either running a race or, we are in a battle and uh, we are, we want fighting a good want, fight. We're fighting the good fight. So this is not a new concept in the, in the framework of the kingdom of the gospel or the kingdom of God or what Jesus brought to this planet through his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. I think where, um, in the journey of our conversation right now, we went from, or I specifically at 18 years old, I am in Spanish three class sitting next to who I think is going to become my girlfriend one day. <laughs> I had just met her actually just a few weeks prior. Um, and she's sitting next to me. And that's all I'm thinking about as an 18 year old boy. <laughs> all I'm thinking about is this, Pretty little lady next to me named Stephanie. (laughs) And I end up dating her and I end up marrying her, by the way. (laughs) So, so you're, that came, that mission accomplished. Well done. (laughs) Yes. So, but for context in the moment, like this is where I'm thinking. I mean, I'm thinking this is a pretty little lady that I want to ask out. And then all of a sudden, ding, intercom, principal, Something just happened in New York City. You need to stay where you're at. And as the news cranks out, and I'm watching the same scenes you referenced on the news, I'm realizing that what I mentioned earlier, that I have an enemy. And in my life right now, as a 39-year-old husband of almost 15 years, father of three boys, I want to train myself. I want to train myself so that when life happens, when things come at me, that I am ready and prepared. Hmm. Um, However, in the supernatural world and in the spiritual context that we have of I am a son of the father in heaven, Jesus has done something for me and is my savior. He is king of heaven and king of this earth. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God resides in me. Um, as I become more and more aware of the larger story of what's happening around me, as I'm grown up in the kingdom of God, he wants to grow me up. And I, I started to listen to who God is when I was at a young age. But even at 30 years old, gosh, yeah, 30 years old, I was probably still a young boy, spiritually speaking. And until someone said, Dustin, the world that you live in is actually bigger than what you know. You are in a battle. 
And this happened in my early 30s. And some of it was just being mature enough to listen and being willing to listen, but to understand that I had lived that much life up till then. And no one had really I'd helped me understand that there is much, there's a whole lot more going around than what my eyes see, not only in this world, naturally, the natural world, but the supernatural world. There's a larger story going on and you have an enemy. And until someone told me that, I did not have a purpose to train. Mm. Right. And that changed that that my worldview changed. God didn't change. Right. But when someone told me, no, there's actually a larger story going on, Dustin, and there is God in heaven, and there there is someone who opposes him. The enemy, the accuser, the Satan, however we want to describe it, but in my context as being a part of God's family and in the kingdom of the gospel, recognizing that there's a larger story going on and that I now do need to train because there's going to be airstrikes that come at me. I'm going to be <laughs> accused. And there are things that oppose me because I'm a part of the family of God. And, and so the training portion of it, like in this clip, these guys know that they're aware of what could happen because they're in the army, right? Mm -hmm. They've read stories. They've seen units go and do things. And, but some of these guys are, uh, you know, 20, 21, 25, maybe 30. And so in their lifetime, have they really gone to live battle? I, maybe they've been deployed. I, I really don't know the history of all of that, but in th at this point it, it became real. And right. someone had to tell them that there is a war and it's time to go. This is what we've been training for. And I want to be a man that someone can look at me and say, Dustin, you're actually in a battle. And I want to be prepared enough to say, all right, let's go. I'm ready. Um, I want to be a man who's prepared. And that scene just, it, what it rises up in me is that I want to be that man. Because those guys wanted to be in a fight. They wanted right. to be in it. And that's what happens, I think, for us as well. And in this movie, Captain Nelson, he's played by Chris Hemsworth. He's recently stepped aside from being a captain of the the team. So they are basically disbanding his team. They're going to be absorbed. The chief warrant officers retiring. All this stuff's going on. And what happens when when something that changes our base perception of reality happens because, and I love what you said, God doesn't change. But, and again, as we were talking before, one of the things that I'm dealing with is this idea. Yes, God doesn't change. There's truths about me that don't change and my identity doesn't change, but how often I listen to my feelings and feelings are an unreliable, uh, director. Don't listen to them because they change depending on how much sleep you got last night, depending on what you had to eat. They're unreliable. Mm -hmm. But what we see in this next clip as Nelson shows up to get his team back, his team is sitting there watching, watching the news and they're mad. They're frustrated. They feel impotent. They feel incompetent. They feel they want to do something, but they don't know what. And so often I do this when, when life feels crashing down, when I feel under attack, my instinct is to jump out and do something. My instinct is to react, respond, do something. Like there's a voice in my head that's screaming, do something. Doesn't matter what, just do something. And so one of the key arcs as we're moving forward is this look of uh, Diller, uh, who's Michael Pena's character, and the arc of the relationship between him and Captain Nelson, again, Chris Hemsworth's character. So in this one, they're again, so they're watching what's going on. The captain shows up and they feel betrayed by him because he chose the, his family over engaging in the battle. And so you, you get this really dynamic interchange between the two of them that is going to contrast how they look at him at the end of the movie. 
What's up, brother? What are you doing there? Trying to get my team back. Nah, your little jalapeno ain't gonna be too happy about that, huh? Yeah, maybe not. What are you talking about? This team's done. Thanks to you, we're gonna be watching this whole thing go down on fucking CNN. What I did, I did for my family. I didn't know there was a goddamn war coming. Oh, buddy, you and your family, you're gonna be fine from your cushy little office. You're gonna Why be fine. What do you think I'm gonna fine. be sitting on the sidelines with this shit happening, Dill? Huh? Did you talk to Bowers? Yeah, I did. I told him I want back in, and he said no. He won't say no to me. Tell me you didn't submit that paperwork. Well, it's on my desk. If anybody in the Middle East did this, fifth group's up. Fuck yeah, bro. Fuck yeah. But, I mean, we would have been. If we had a fucking captain. We'll be in this fight, boys. You mark my words. Just picturing that scene. I'm, we're just hearing the audio right now, right? right. So, but the the look on their faces of how prepared they know they are, how they have each other's backs, and they know that they should be in this fight, but it has not been given to them yet. Mm. Um, There's a lot of tension there. They are ready. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good word for that scene, tension. (laughs) They are ready. Yeah. They are hungry. They want to be in it because this is what they've been preparing years for. I mean, they're special forces. Green Beret, they've been doing this for a little bit. Right. And uh, there is a lot of tension there because their captain, Chris Hemsworth, was apparently sub- submitting papers to have a desk job. And so. Well, and the other guy was retiring. And he's so there, you know, he's like, oh, I will delay my retirement if we can go get in the fight. Mm-hmm. But what is he? I didn't know war was coming. Right. When I was when I was uh, deployed in 2004. Uh, we went to Iraq. For. It was like OIF two, Operation Iraqi Freedom Part two. So we were the second mm-hmm. phase. I was there with the lieutenant colonel. He said he'd been in the army for 18 years up to that point. And he had never been away from his family for more than a week. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that makes it up for me. It was like, I'm getting out of this army. <laughs> it's like, because that changed, like he said, I didn't know war was coming. It, it, like that mindset, right? as, as believers, how often do we look at it and say, we're preparing, we're preparing, we're preparing. And then we're surprised when battle comes. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it makes me, uh, it prompts me to never want to take a day off of, uh, of training. Um, and it also, makes me want to train with other people. What I'm so drawn to in that these two scenes is that you never see in the camera angle one guy. So they're they're never isolated. They're always next so they're training together, they're doing these training exercises, then they're watching the news and you're seeing their brotherhood right there and they are all lockstep. They are not having to say anything, but their faces are the same. They know exactly what they all want to do. And what they what they have the capability to do, but they do not yet have permission. And something else that, as we were just talking, they don't have all the data yet mm. of what what they what they can go do. So permission to be the team, but also data to then go accomplish something. Yeah, they look like chained dogs. Yes, just ready. Hmm. But I think they feel, and we feel that way. I feel that way. Yeah. When this idea that like I've prepared, but I feel helpless and just want to go do something, but they don't have the direction. Yeah. Like we don't have a captain. We have no leader. And so Mm -hmm. in the absence of leadership, we feel like it's up to us. We're going to be very reactionary. Mm-hmm. And instead of using our training and equipment, our preparation, like a like a, a laser or with laser focus and intention, 
or a, or a surgeon scalpel. We're more like a shotgun and just blast everything in the radius. And many times that leads to damage to our family, damage to those closest to us. It's like a grenade goes off and damage to ourselves. Hmm. So you had mentioned, you had, you had mentioned that, that, that increased desire to train and train with brothers. So when you're talking about training, what does that look like? What does it look like to prepare? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think taking taking this uh, this scene of of them doing a training exercise, uh, which was just a brief scene, right? But the Green Brace, so we know they've done a lot of training, right? Um, when there is live ammunition coming at me and I'm being assaulted or attacked, whether it's a disagreement with a coworker, a, a um, chaos in my home with young children, uh, <laughs> a disagreement with my wife, or um, anxiety rising up in me because I'm ruminating on a conversation that I've had mentally, and it's exhausting. Right. So there's um, a lot of missiles that can come at me that make me begin to believe that I am not worthy of love or that all of life is up to me. Um, Or if I don't come through for that individual, then my value goes down. I'm not loved. Um, We can go through a lot of things that (laughs) different men, different women uh, believe about themselves that really are lies. So I'm learning to accept the father in heaven's acceptance of me and love Dustin for who he is created me to become. Um, and I have to shed a lot of baggage and junk that comes my way. And I get assaulted by the enemy with those things I just mentioned. Uh, my fight as is it Paul that says this, my fight is not against flesh and yeah. blood mm-hmm. right it's not against and the authorities person. and powers and right principalities authorities and powers that come at us that get us to believe lies and so i think in the 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 reality of in my life as a as a man i need other brothers that understand that context too So the reason why I'm so drawn to this movie is you have these guys that are training. They have the same context. They know that there's an enemy out there that could be attacking at any point in their training. They're training together to go into a fight. Um, I want to find other brothers that have that same context. Hmm. And the reason, another reason I love war movies is because they have a commitment to one another. So they have context and they have commitment. And so right off the bat in the first few minutes of the movie, we see that. We see context, commitment to one another in the same direction. Um, the, the third and final piece is really like, what's the, what's the da- what is all the data and what are we going to go do now? There, that's where the tension is uh, in those, th- that kind of progression. If you have context and commitment, then what's the content or what's the direction that we're going? And they're sitting in that tension between two and three. And um, I want to have other brothers that can be vulnerable, vulnerable enough and honest enough to name the things that they struggle with. If I have context with other brothers and they can start talking about this is what's really I'm really struggling with, um, whether it's physically getting older and fighting those lies. As we yeah. discussed earlier, I'll be turning 40 <laughs> next year. I'm trying to train. Um, or like a, a gentleman I spoke to recently, there's some infertility going on. And um, mm. they're starting, they're really trying to uh, work through that. Um, some questions and that's a battle for them. Um, and that's a, that's part of my story too, with my wife and I. Um, and just being honest and naming things. And then giving it over to God, giving it over to God and saying, you're in control. You have control here. It's when I try to control things is mm. when I mess it up. <laughs> I mess it up. Yeah. And so I am created for 
I am created to be ruled and I'm created for authority. We long for that. Whether we want to admit it or not, we long for it. Yeah. And um, I want to have other brothers that understand that context and running towards the same, what am I being ruled by and who is my authority? And we see that in that clip we just watched. Yeah, there's that idea that training is grounding in truth because the assault and the battles that we face don't, again, they don't change the truth of who God is, but they make us doubt that. That goes back to the garden. Did God really say, you will not mm. die? And And what the enemy in that scene showed Adam and Eve is, God, you can't trust God. He's just trying to keep you down. You can't trust. And, and then Jesus in the desert. If you are, if you are the son of God, doubting your identity. And then interesting when Peter questions, Jesus says, what is all this about you dying? It's like that. It doesn't have to be this way. We can do it a different way. That Jesus turned to him is like, get behind me, Satan. Mm hmm. Because the the temptation and even that night in the garden, the temptation, like Jesus could have called down angels, legions of angels to deliver him from the cross. And his temptation was to not. Obviously, it was to do that, to bring in the full forces of heaven's army because he's the God of angel armies. Mm -hmm. So for his closest right hand man to come in and say, come on, we can do that. We could. You, you could be the military messiah, take over, you know, beat back Rome and all this. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to do that because, and for him to like that idea of, oh no, I have to, this is what I have to do because he's grounded in the truth. He knows who he is. Jesus knows who he is. And when we know who we are, we're able to use our gifts and our talents in submission. Mm -hmm. Which takes us to our next clip. And we, we're jumping forward in the movie quite a bit. This team ends up in Afghanistan. They are Task Force Dagger, the first American military troops to fight the Taliban. And they've been fighting with, with a general, uh, General Dostum, Dostum oh, uh, who's a, a, a warlord there. And so they've aligned with him and they say, hey, and, but what they, they've been through a couple battles already together. They've seen, you know, Diller has seen Nelson lead them, guide them and, you know, he's put himself in harm's way. Hmm. He's become, what is it? Uh, he says he has the killer eyes now because he has killed somebody. He has, he knows what it's like. And there's this whole other conversation I think Dustin and I might talk about on YouTube about the difference between a warrior and a soldier. So check out our YouTube channel. We'll talk about that. But this scene is uh, Nelson recognizes the way to win the battle is to send these this small group of men into the desert, in into isolation. You can only carry what you've got. You can't. Nothing can be airdropped because that would give you away. But if you can cut off their supply line, we have a chance. And that's all really build up for the last probably 10 seconds of this conversation. But just listen to this, how this goes. And, and primarily it's, again, Nelson and Diller talking uh, about the next mission that he's being, they're being selected for. You see, the Taliban won't be defending their western flank because they can't imagine anything coming from this desert. Now, it's a crazy idea, but... But what? Well, the Taliban reinforcements come through here, through the Tiangi Gap. All right, this is why Dosim's killing himself trying to move forward. All the Taliban has to do is hold him off long enough to bring in more artillery. But there's nothing out there. there there's no water, no nothing. All right, well, you come in behind your line, you cut that chain, ammo dumps, convoys, anything you can hit, you hit it. Can I walk it? I'm sick of that fucking horse. <laughs> That's 120 clicks or something. An IG a drop will give up your possession. You gotta pack everything in. Can Dossum give us some mules? Yeah, probably. Okay. But listen, whoever does this thing's gotta understand this is different than what we've been doing, all right? You're on your own. No reinforcements, no extraction, nothing. 
Oh, shit, I, I can't order anyone to do this. Someone's got to volunteer. Yes, you can. Just give us the order. That's an order. Nothing I'd rather do. I'll pick two guys. Bennett? I'm in. Coffers? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Good luck, Ben. Because what we see is this harnessed strength. We, in our, in our striving, because that's the only word I have for this striving, the, that scene of, we don't have a captain. We can't, we're going to be here on the sidelines, helpless, feeling useless. And here's Nelson. He outlines, this is a, he's not calling it a suicide mission, but it's like, there's no extraction. There's no resupplies. You take in what you can. And then he says, I can't order you to do that. Because he hasn't embraced his authority. Hmm. For us, we would frequently volunteer for me. I was like, yeah, pick me, pick me. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, Hermione Granger, hand up in class every time, right? (laughs) (laughs) But true submission to authority is not putting your hand up every time saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. It's like, I can't order you to. Yes, you can. Order me, order me and I'll do it. And that's, I think that should be how we respond because we're so frequently, oh, this needs to be done. I can do it and charge off. But by receiving the order, we receive the authority. Because Captain Nelson has the authority and now Diller has the authority because he's been ordered and he, he can walk in a better strength. And I love that other response. He's like, all right, pick two guys. Oh man, thought you'd never ask. Thank you, sir. Thank you for picking me for this mission that I might die on. Who does that? (laughs) I mean, this this is amazing to me. I mean, walking 120 kilometers with a mule in a desert. Thank you. Right. I mean, up to this point, I mean, they are they are walking blind. At, at this point, and you have tens of thousands of uh, Taliban, right. Taliban that, that want to destroy them, and there's they have twelve guys with maybe a hundred soldiers with General uh, what is it Dostin, the Dostum, warlord, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, gosh, how okay, so Jesus and the disciples, twelve, right? I'm a big numbers nerd, and so. <laughs> Just thinking through when the disciples realized that, oh, I'm not just following Jesus from town to town, handing out some food and, and, and uh, you know, camping out a little bit and laughing and having some fish every now and then. And, you know, he did that cool trick and, yeah. you know, all that. When they find out that, whoa, he, when Jesus starts talking about dying, that changes. And what you just said, Paul, that Chris Hemsworth's character, he did not understand his authority, but his followers wanted him to embrace that. Mm. They saw something in him that he did not yet see in himself. And how true is that of me with other brothers that they see things in me that I am having a hard time believing in myself? And oftentimes that self-belief or even love and care and fight for myself, I'm the last person sometimes that I care for or fight for or love. And the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon's like, hello, Dustin, above all else, guard your, not your home, not your best friend, not your brothers, your own heart. Guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. And as you mentioned, we or we were talking about this earlier that we are created to be ruled. Mm-hmm. 
and to have authority over. Like God created everything with that in mind. And Jesus, Jesus has all power and authority, right? And right. we see in that scene, those, those men look at Chris Hemsworth. I see who you are. You can, you can tell us what to go do because we're ready. Yeah. We're here. We're, we've been wanting this. And uh, I just wonder what mm. I think back through the New Testament and I wonder what the disciples' face would have looked like. Again, I would be like this far from the screen, really close, just a couple <laughs> inches from watching it. I was like, what, you know, when Jesus starts talking about death and dying and watching them, you know, their eyes and their countenance change around the fire. Um, oh, wait, and just that, this doesn't make yeah, sense. Wanting, you know, their, um, they see Jesus for who he is. The tone changes and boy, they are. They are ready because they're living in that authority. If they don't, then it's very, very uh, dangerous or not even dangerous. It's just, you know, like in that scene, even though they're doing something absolutely crazy and stupid with Chris Hemsworth, when he says, okay, I order you and pick two vaughn. I thought you never ask. Right. Uh, thank you. Um, it is very, very scary what they're going into, but the reason they, say yes is because they trust his leadership and that authority. And because of that, it's like, in a weird way, it's safe because they're under that authority in the same way that Jesus, when I'm being led, it may be some scary things that Jesus may leading me to go do. Oh, I don't know if finances are going to be able to cover that. I don't know if I can go have that conversation with someone. It's not always the, the easiest. But when Jesus is present, when God's presence is there around you, it actually is safe because we're under his authority. And right. we want to be ruled by that, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, and when I do admit it and when I follow through with it, even though it's a little bit sketchy and scary, and I don't have any backup or extraction like in this clip. It is the best option. Yeah. I was caught by the, this question of how do we say thank you when we get ordered to do something like this? And it's, we understand the stakes, like those guys understood the stakes, but they also understood the impact. It's like, Mm. if you cut off their supply chain, we have a chance. And I think in Paul in, in second Corinthians talked about this and he talks, he's like, and it, he goes on a lot in this chapter. It was a lot more than I remembered. He talks about being put in prison, being whipped, facing death. Five times he was lashed 39 times, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, adrift on sea. He's in danger everywhere. He's like, I'm not going to boast about my experience. This is what I've been through. But all that, and that's where he starts talking about the thorn of the flesh. He's like, you, I'm writing this because I know what it's like. It's like, there's nothing you can be through and it's worth it. What he's saying is it's worth it. And that idea of authority, it goes back to the, we are under authority. The creation setup system was God's over authority. He gives us the authority over the earth. Jesus, when he comes and you mentioned the disciples, he sent them out to cast out demons, to heal diseases, to have an impact. He passed his authority on to them. And the same thing at the end. Hey, go out and make disciples. He's passed his authority on. And when we understand the stakes and understand the impact that we can have, we can say thank you. Even knowing what's coming Because the danger doesn't come from what's around us. It comes from being separated from the presence of Christ. Even going back to that first scene, we don't have a captain. And a lot of times we feel like we don't have a captain. Hmm. But when we experience that greater union with Christ, again, being grounded in the truth of who we are, who he is. Even Paul in 2 Corinthians says, don't be deceived like Eve was deceived by the serpent. And we can, we can walk in the truth of who we are and who our captain is. Mm. 
then we can enter into the mission and it's not going to, there's a cost. Mm-hmm. But this, what, what else does Paul say? For I've con, for I'm convinced that the sufferings of this world don't matter when compared to the, the insurmountable, unimaginable reward waiting for us in heaven. Mm-hmm. There will be a cost. Those guys, they got hurt, you know, the chief got a sucking chest wound and had to be medevaced out of there at the end. And they, they're fighting through and people are dying. And somehow mm-hmm. the, the, the miracle of this story is these guys went in and none of them, they all made it back home, yeah. which made their, what their story is remarkable because they're going against tanks with horses. I'm no military genius, but tanks beat horses usually. Yes. <laughs> like when we're working in the, the, the emergency room, we've got a pedestrian versus motor vehicle. Pedestrian's going to lose just about every time in that battle. And so I, I want to jump to the end as they're about to go home. They've reached, they've, they've accomplished their mission. And again, contrasting this interaction between Diller and Nelson with the first interaction and how as we come to grow in an understanding of the authority of Christ and living in submission to that and the reality of who we are, I think leads us to respond in a way that Diller does. Change your traction side, huh? Yeah, I didn't think you'd walked far enough. Yeah, I was thinking, you know what? My knees feel way too good. <laughs> well, they look good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you see the medic? Yeah. Feels good, huh? What, sitting down? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to finally see one through. Yeah. Yeah. We won the battle, you know? Still got to win the war. Yeah, that ain't up to us. Ain't our job anyway, though, right? Yeah. So where are you going to point us to next? I'm pointing this home. I'll follow you there. I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> and I was just listening to that. I was like, isn't that like at the end of a mission at the end of a battle you know even that you changed the extraction site oh i wanted to walk i wanted you to walk a little farther 120 kilometers I, it wasn't far enough you needed to walk a little more but even then the care it's like do you get a medic to look at your knees the that playfulness that uh, engagement, that care and concern, that trust. And yeah, they're going home. And it, I loved his thing. Where are you pointing us to next? This is a man who lives under authority, but in authority. Realizing, yeah, I'll, and then I'll follow you home. I'll follow you anywhere. And that realization, I just followed you through the desert, (laughs) bloody knees, gunfights, rockets, all this. And I do it again. This is adding to scripture, but I think Paul would say the same thing. When you read all those things from Corinthians. Yeah. Shipwreck, snake, you know, all these things. And if we could loop Paul in here right now, he's like, (laughs) yeah, I would do it again. Why? Well, because what is waiting for me in the kingdom of heaven overwhelms the suffering that I had to endure in the natural world on the planet, right? And that's home. In the context that we live in, we are trying to get home. We are trying to get back to the Garden of Eden the way that it once was. And I love the quote for Chris from Chris Helmsworth, the captain is like, I'm pointing us home. And of course, it's the end of the movie. So they want to go home. It's a, it's a cool mm-hmm. ending, right? They go home and see their families. But in our context, making it practical, 
I want to go home too. And I'm not talking about the physical home in the natural world where I'm currently at in my house. <laughs> home being where Jesus is. Home being where God is. And I can access home actually right now. Like right now on this call, we can access home and be in the presence of God where yeah. we eventually will be in eternity with him. But I, there are moments where I can be with him. And I want that. I want that now. So when, when a viewer hears that in a movie, we're going home. It's like, Whoo, yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not relief. I think that on the surface it's relief, but what it really is is full restoration into who we were intended to become. Right. Full restoration. That's home. Full restoration, the new body, the new mind, the new heart. And that's why we get so amped up at these awesome endings of the story. And this is true. They get to go home. Um, and it's beautiful. It's, a, it's what our heart's reaction is to the, to the greater context and the greater story going on that we want to be home to. We want to, things to be back the way that they once were in the Garden of Eden, where we can walk with God in the cool of the day. I want that. Going back to that idea that Paul would say, is it worth it? Because he talks about the reward. And what's the reward? And we think of it as like, oh, I get crowns or a kingdom or a mansion or gold. or As they say in Tangled, your dream sucks. That dream sucks because it's just, you know, he's talking about being on an island surrounded by money all by himself. It's like, that dream sucks. Hmm. But when you get to the end of the story, and you see the people and the lives you've impacted. And you're like, man, I had no idea that giving you a cup of water made a difference. I had no idea that smiling at you and saying hello made a difference. I had no idea that giving you a hug in church made a difference. And all, everything, and Paul would look back and say, everything I went through is worth it for the outcome. After my divorce, I went through, I, I, I went back to church and uh, about a year later, I started a small group for guys who are going through a divorce or had been divorced because I'm like, there's just, there's a connection. There's an understanding. Like our lives are different when we're talking about, Oh, I don't have the kids this weekend or this or that. And just dealing the struggle of dealing with ex spouses. And one of my friends, he wasn't my friend at the time. He just started showing up. He was going through a separation. And through the months coming to the small group, talking to us, he ended up reconciling with his wife and remaining married. And I'm like, oh, did I have to go through the pain of my divorce so that this guy didn't have to? so that his marriage could be restored. And I can look at that and say, worth it. Hmm. Because it sucks. <laughs> Anybody who's gone through it, like there's, it's not an easy decision. It's, it's not a, it's not something you just kind of bad ah, sucks. I'm getting out of here. It's painful. Hmm. But to hmm. say, yeah, I, I rescued him. And I don't want to say I rescued him. But God used me to restore his marriage and prevent him from going through that struggle. And I'm not saying that remaining in a marriage is easy either. It's like, oh, I can look back and say, oh, I, I was, God used me here. And that made the suffering, that made the sore knees worth it. Yes. And so that next time you can say, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go wherever you lead me, I'll go because I trust the one giving the directions. So Dustin, thanks for showing up. Thanks for recommending this movie. You've got great choice. Great. Uh, you've got a great palette for movies. <laughs> We're going to have <laughs> Dustin on a lot more. This is actually the third one that I've recorded with him. I just haven't aired any of the previous ones yet. So we've, we've got more Dustin coming up in the future. <laughs> These are all my tryouts. <laughs> that's right we're, we're gonna see if it sticks 
Yeah. Well, it, it, it is always really good from, from my heart to have conversations with you, Paul, about movies. Um, I always walk away very encouraged and enlightened and, and, and challenged to engage with my own heart and the greater context of what we have going on in our world as men. And uh, I want more of who God is as we prayed before we got on here. Yeah. I want more of who God is in, integrated with more of who I really am. And uh, that is a fight every single day. And uh, I'm honored to have conversations like this with you, man. All right. So this has been Paul McDonald and Dustin Aprea talking about 12 Strong over, I think it was on Netflix. Go watch it. It's great. With your older children, above 16 at least. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Hey.